The talk you're about to listen to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. Hello, hello. How are we? Happy second week. Can I borrow this worship team? Is that okay? Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, seriously though, happy second week. How are we? Are we excited to be here still? Did the, all the energy die away? We don't like college anymore? Or do we still really like it? Um, it is a joy to be with you. See all your faces. I love all the combination of faces that I see. I love it. Um, we are going to have a splendid evening for you guys um, because we are going to open up God's word and explore his kindness which I think is a character quality of the Lord that we don't talk about all too much. So um, if you have your Bibles, actually if you don't have a Bible, raise up your hand because really spirit-filled awesome men are going to pass out Bibles to you. Um, These are for you to keep if you don't have a Bible. Um, And if you do and you want an extra, there's an extra. Or give it to a friend who has yet to have a Bible. No, but really, we are very glad you guys are here. Um, My name's Hannah. I'm on staff. Um, I graduated from here. I love Penn State and you guys automatically because I'm still here after I graduated a long time ago. Um, Let's see. I love coffee. Um, I'm currently with child, so if you see me waddle or, like, do a little dance up here, it's because my back hurts. Um, which is quite fatiguing. If you were curious what it was like to be pregnant, it, it's fatiguing. So call your moms and tell them, were you fatigued? Actually, just say you were. You were fatigued because it, it, it's fatiguing. Um, but yes, I am so grateful to be with you guys this evening. So if you do have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1. Tiny little book, tiny little guy. Actually, not a guy at all. She is a woman. Um, <laughs> We are going to be looking at chapter 1, and this specifically, God reveals his kindness to his people. Um, We're going to be looking at God's heart um, as it's on display for us to see as he desires for his people to return to himself and to community. We're going to look at him, how he does those two things. God pursues us. He wants us to return to him and to community. And the title of our series, again, that we opened up last week, is God in the Grain. Um, Why we picked this title is because we really want to showcase to you guys that God is in the day-to-day things. So you got up this morning at a certain time. Some of you were on time. Some of you were late. That was intentional. Um, Some of you are glad you are here or wanted it to start 10 minutes early because you were so excited for it to start. No matter how you feel right now, God already knows it, and he already ordained who you're sitting next to. So I want you to look at the person next to you and say, did you know I was ordained to sit next to you tonight? Yeah. It feels good. And actually, before the creation of the world, God knew I was going to sit next to you. How cool is that? It's a fun fact. It's a very fun fact. Um, God just doesn't display himself in the incredible joys and crises of life, but he actually delights delights to showcase himself in just the everyday, rubbing shoulders with strangers, drinking a cup of Starbucks, tripping outside of Old Main, which I've actually done before, Um, talking to a professor, calling your mom. Whatever it is, I really believe, we really believe that God is in all 
those little moments as well. Um, so to start, because we as a staff team have been studying this book for a while, um, I collected some of my very fun facts that I would love to share with you of why this book is my new fun favorite. Um, so it's technically a 3,000-year-old love story, which in my opinion, if you grew up like me on Disney, it's so much better than Disney because this is actually real. Spoiler alert, Disney is not real. Not even a little, I know, I know, not even a little bit, I know, I know, except maybe the genie. But anyway, no, no, I'm just kidding, none of it, it's not real, it's not real. Um, and this story that we're going to look at tonight is real, it's real life, it happened, it was so cool. Um, the second one, which I just learned a few days ago, is that technically, so still in Jewish tradition, in today, present day, rabbis read out this book to people at the beginning of Pentecost, in one of their day, their feast days. One of their feast days. I forget the feast. What's the feast? Tom told me the feast day. Feast of booze. There we go. That one. It's one of them. One of the feasts. They read it out loud, which I just think is so cool. I don't know why I think it's cool. I just think it would be really cool to hear someone read to me this story. And then third is that this book really reveres the role of women. So where are my ladies? There we go. Okay, how many of you love being a lady? Yeah, I really love being a lady. I, like, love that God made me a woman. I am, like, so grateful. Um, I actually just watched Wonder Woman randomly. Has anyone watched that? Okay, so I'm a fan, even though I'm definitely a Marvel girl, not a DC girl. Any? <gasps> what? Yeah, there we go. Iron Man's my favorite. I don't really agree with him ethically at all, but his suits are sort of the best. Sort of the best. Um, one more thing before we dive in is that this book, actually specifically this chapter, has a lot of ambiguity. Okay, um, You will probably leave here with a lot more questions than you were hoping for. But I'm glad because we serve a God and we believe in a God who loves to be asked our questions. Okay, um, So I want you to get curious. I really believe the art of curiosity is a dead art. I believe that we just go to places, whether it's we turn on the TV, we go to class, we do things because people tell us and we don't really filter why we're doing things. Um, and I'd love for you to look through this passage with me tonight with a new sense of curiosity. Because the author who wrote it did it with such intention. And he knows all of our questions that we're going to have. And actually, I'm going to share with you some of my questions and they keep piling up. So much so that I've had to buy like a little notebook next to my bed because sometimes when I'm studying it, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Because I just don't know. So we are here as a people who are not afraid of not knowing. Just to let you know, if this is your first or second time at Crew, we do not, we're not afraid of not knowing things because we serve an incredible God who we believe knows everything and we have the power because of him to know those things. And we can lean on him because he's incredibly gracious. Okay, so that is my preface. Not bad, huh? Okay, I love feedback, so I need vocal feedback. Ready? Not bad, huh? There we go, there we go. Okay, so open your Bibles. The text is on the screen. Ruth 1 with me. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to swallow and enunciate and pronunciate my words as best as I can. Okay, here we go. 
In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited her people, his people, and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with me as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has God gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, that the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful for your word. We ask that your your kindness would be with us, that we would turn our gaze to you as you teach us some new things and just inspire our hearts to love you more and more and more because you're so great. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so with every great story, you got to set the scene. Okay, so verse 1 through 5 is this. It's the scene. It's a time of famine. The family is traveling from Bethlehem to Moab and then back to Bethlehem, okay? So I have my incredible artist friend draw me a map. By the way, it says artist, Joanna Spurlock. Her name's just not there. She's my artist friend. 
um, she did this amazing map for me. So what I want to show you here is in the Old Testament, God's people, God's presence, was in a specific place, okay, specific people, okay? They resided in this time in Bethlehem. Now, a famine came, okay, suffering, brokenness, pain. I can't imagine not eating food because I just can't imagine it, not having without food. And they traveled from Bethlehem, from God's place of blessing, from his parents, all the way over through the Jordan River to Moab, okay? And the word sojourn in verse 1 actually communicates that they were supposed to go and then come back real briefly. But how long did they stay there the whole time? Do you remember? There we go, 10 years, thank you. They stayed there 10 years. That just wasn't a short little trip. They left God's presence and God's people. They traveled down to Moab, and they stayed there. So Israelites, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, were not encouraged to marry non-Israelites. Okay, This was something that, that was very strict that they did not want to happen. Okay, Because non-Israelite people didn't worship Yahweh, the one true God that Israelites did worship. These verses set up what, really the context of what we're going to be studying for the whole rest of the book, okay? Because this is a sad, dismal, depressing, this is full of death, lots and lots of death, okay? It is, in my opinion, like, this is not how you start, like, the greatest love story of all time, you know? Like, this is sort of as bad as it gets. I mean, Naomi not just loses her husband, but her sons, some of the questions that I had when I was studying this was, was it a sin for Elimelech to take his family to Moab? Like, the author is not really clear. We knew it wasn't encouraged, but was it sinful? Did Naomi disagree? If she did, did she want to say anything? How long was the famine? Actually, someone a lot smarter than me probably knows that question. Um, and what happened during those 10 years? I'm actually really curious relationally, like, how did Naomi, Elimelech, Mylon and Kalon, like how did they interact as a family in Moab? Because it was a pretty idolatrous country. It wasn't like they, they didn't serve God at all. It was pretty, pretty foreign. It was idols everywhere. There was, it was not a good setup, not a good environment um, for these family of God to reside. But they made a choice, and they stuck with it 10 years later, and now Naomi is all by herself with her two daughter-in-laws. Okay, so jump down with me, verses 6 through 13. Naomi hears that the Lord has visited her people, so she decides to return home. Okay, so when I was thinking, the question Tom asked last week of like, when you read through the passage, um, even the whole, all the four chapters, you see there's places where God is intentionally like not mentioned, um, but you know he's there, if that makes sense. Like, you just sense it's not a coincidence. And then there's some obvious ways where God is like, hey, I'm here, like I'm doing things. And I found, I came across this. I was like, wow, when the Lord, like Naomi heard that it was the Lord doing something back home in her town, she was a desperate woman. She could have had a really hard heart. I mean, I don't know all of your stories, but I'm, gathering some of you have experienced incredible suffering okay I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and tell me all the pains but you know some of you know what it's like to lose a loved one to lose a parent 
to lose someone, a best friend, someone really close to you, maybe even a sibling. And that kind of sadness and grief that creates in someone's heart, I would have assumed would have created a hardness, some kind of like resentment. But for Naomi and God's kindness, he pursued, he kept pursuing her is what it meant to me. I was reading this and I was like, God, like God, she left you. She like left your people. Naomi is in Moab. And yet her ears are still tingling to the Lord's voice. And I was like, it is so kind of the Lord to do that to his people, to this specific woman. It's so beautiful. So I want to help just set up a little context um, for women's roles, like how women were viewed in Old Testament time. It is different. Um, So being a single woman you had very little means of support, okay? You, you really were banking on getting married young and hoping that your husband would take really good care of you. And that is where you would get, that's where you would find protection, that's where you'd find economic status, that's where you, you would just survive, really, because you would have your husband's last name and you would inherit just sort of what he had with you, okay? but you would need that husband to sort of like make the way, if that makes sense, okay? So single women didn't have it really good in Old Testament times. Um, Barren women, so women who were married but couldn't produce any children, they were sort of second rung on the totem pole, if you can visualize with me, right? Because children were a status symbol back then, okay? Especially boys. If you had a boy, oh man, you were doing great. Okay, because why? You passed on the family name through that child. Okay, but Naomi has neither. She neither has the husband or the living kids anymore, right? Because she's a widow. And third, it's really hard to be old and have all these things happen to you in Old Testament times. You're really like, you're less than a single woman and less than a barren woman, and you're just sort of really have nothing. You have nothing to offer. You have nothing to give. You're just sort of existing in a state of sadness and depression, (laughs) economically speaking, okay? Like, it is just not a good place to be. Um, And Naomi is there. The the author of this story is painting this picture of a woman who is really, uh, who's desperate. And I think it's really interesting when you think about how her suffering has really shaped her heart. She's still able to hear the Lord, she's still able to go back to Bethlehem. That's what she's decided to do. But she knows she has nothing to give. And you understand that in her dialogue with her daughters-in-law. In In verses 11 to 13, there's a lot of cultural stuff happening in here that I'm going to try my best to tease out with you guys. But it's really hard. I've, I've been learning, too, as I grow with the Lord. Like, it's really easy for me to read Scripture with my 21st century lenses on. Because I... I'm a product of the century. Like, I was born in 1989. Like, I, I grew up on Disney, like, which for better or for worse. You know, like, there's certain things where when I read scripture, I'm like, what? That's not how it would be. And it's actually really cool that our brains, when we don't have certain facts, our brains try to grab on, like, make up certain things to fill the puzzle picture of the story. Did you guys know this? Super cool how our brains work. God's a genius. 
it's just really fascinating that when we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, our brains are like, no, we need to complete the story. And I think Ruth was intentionally written without the pieces of the puzzle because it's pointing to a bigger picture. It's pointing, to, it's pointing and lifting our eyes to a God who's really after his people, bringing him back. If you see the word return, go back in your Bibles later and just circle all the times you see return. Return, 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 return. I was an English major, so I love words. I'm a little geek that way. And I think it's really fascinating how God is always after his people returning to himself. Okay, There's some of you right here who you want, you came to Penn State being like, I am leaving this faith thing behind. I grew up a Christian. My mom and dad aren't here. I am on my own, and I can do whatever I want, which you can, but it has its consequences. I will say that, okay? I haven't lived forever, but I've lived long enough to know that when you take responsibility for yourself, you have to own the consequences of those actions. And some of you are at a major crossroads. I mean, that was my freshman year. I thought I knew everything. And actually, it's funny. As I get older, I think I know less than how, I, how much I knew the years before. It's like, I know I'm not getting more dumb, but something is happening to like my knowledge scale. You know, I feel a little unbalanced. I think it's humility, believe it or not. Um, not to do my harm. Get it? Iron, irony here? I need a little bit more energy. I'm not going to lie. I need a little bit. Okay, thank you. I need a little bit more. Um, I, that was my freshman year. It was a total crossroads. I grew up in the church, and God was like, okay, are you going to follow me or not? And then I got a call that my parents were getting divorced, and I was like, no, I'm mad at you. I'm not following you. You did this. No, la, la, la. I had all these questions, and God was like, no, no, no. You live in a fallen world bad things happen. And that was really hard for me to understand because I was like, I needed to blame somebody. And God was like, nope, 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 nope. You live in brokenness. You are broken. Death, divorce, pain, suffering happen every day, all the time. And that is ha that's happening in this world. And I think a lot of the times Christians don't know how to cope with that. We're like a little like dazed. And God's like, People are going to hate you because they hated me. And we're like, oh, you hurt my feelings. And I'm like, well, you're supposed to be like that. <laughs> Jesus said, if you follow me, you will be hated just like I was hated. So when we experience suffering, anyway, total side note, this is for later between you and me, but I'm just curious about how I process pain and suffering and failure. That's a side note for any later time. Anyway, Naomi is suffering, and she acknowledges God's hand being upon her, and she even acknowledges God's hand in that suffering, how he's even sovereign over suffering. Okay, move with me, verses 14 to 18. Okay, so here we have the famous Ruth pledge. It's so beautiful. I'm just going to read it again. Starting in 14. So they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. I am stunned 
stunned, even after I just read this, and I've read this, I'm stunned by Ruth's loyalty. Think about it. Ruth is not an Israelite. She's a Moabite. She lived in Moab. She grew up in Moab. She was going to stay in Moab. Then one of God's people, Naomi, travels to Moab. And I know this is just between you and me, but I'm really convinced that something happened in those 10 years. Because the fact that Naomi, that Ruth, is so compelled to give up everything, and she doesn't really have that much to start with, but she's saying like, hey, where you go, I'm going to go. doesn't end there. Where are you going to live, I'm going to live. Okay, your God is going to be my God. For what? This is the greatest miracle of the whole entire story. The fact that God not just, not just pursued Naomi, his person, okay? He pursued someone outside of Israel, a Moabite, which you should do a little history lesson, Genesis 25. Study where the Moabites came from and tell me if you think you have a dirty past, study where the Moabites came from, Genesis 25, okay? If I'm wrong on that, someone tell me, but I'm like 87, 9% sure that's true. Um, yes, there, people think in American Christianity that you have to be a certain way. You have to act a certain way, you have to dress a certain way, you have to look a certain color. You have to be a certain person in order to come to Jesus. Okay, now everybody in the room, look at me right now. You ready? That is crap. Okay? Total crap. You've been fed this lie that you have to act a certain way, you have to do, you have to do checklists. Remember last week, I admitted to you guys, I love checklists. I, po I literally have two post-its, highlighters, on my kitchen counter right now with a list of stuff that I have to do, which I have not done, by the way, but I'm under grace. But honestly, listen, I love to-do lists, and I grew up thinking that Christianity was about what I do. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever thought that, but I know nine out of ten of you grew up like me, and you're thinking that. Some of you actually still believe that. And can I tell you something? I still struggle with this. I'm not like, my identity is not what I do. It's in who God, what he did for me. This is a fight every single day for me. Literally, the whole day, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm giving a talk. Oh yeah, I feel great. Oh my gosh, I'm giving a talk. Oh my gosh, there's people. What are they going to say about me? Like what? It really cares. Like if I don't get good feedback, oh my gosh, it's really, really scary. And then Tom told me that actually my old, old boss's boss is actually in the audience right now. I was totally freaking out because his son is thinking of coming here, which by the way, I'm not going to point you out, but I'm really glad that you're here by the way. Um, <laughs> seriously, I was like, oh my gosh, he's here. I remember him when I was a student. I sat over there, and he was there, and he talked to us. And, oh, my gosh, I'm freaking out, and I'm sweaty, and I'm pregnant. This is not good. And God's like, you see? <laughs> you see. It's not about what I do. It's not about what you do. And guess what? You're going to leave here, and you're going to go back and look at your syllabus, 
you're going to read a an email from your professor, or you're going to get a voicemail from your mom or dad who's saying, it does matter what you do. It does matter what you do. And the fight begins. And there you go. You're 20, you're 30, you're 40, you're 50, 60, 70. Maybe you'll die when you're 80. It's still going to be a war. Because it's not what we do. It's what he's done. And the Christian life literally is embracing that. It is just hugging. If I, oh gosh, I can't even describe. If there was like a, a thing, <laughs> just go with me here. There was a thing that just, it was long, okay, and it was soft. Because we're going to hug it, okay? It's long and soft. And it just described everything that God has ever done. Okay, what he did to describe, what he did because he loved you, okay? What he did to give you new life and new hope. And some of you wake up and you're like, my life's worthless. I don't care that I'm here. Why am I here? And God actually came to replace those thoughts and tell you, I will tell you exactly why you're here. I will tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. I will tell you exactly what you mean to me, only if you embrace this really long, fuzzy thing. Okay? It's also the gospel's the really long, fuzzy thing, but I wanted to make it more soft, and you just need to hug it sometimes. And it's, the me it's this good news. That's what the Christian life's all about. And this chapter, this one chapter, which I literally looked at Tom, and I was like, hmm, I'm only speaking one time on chapter one. Can I speak four times on chapter one? Because it's insane. It's insane. If I'm not getting your taste buds, like, mm, what, is, what does she mean? Read it when you get home, okay? Read it actually over and over and over and over again. And then let's talk over tea or coffee or boba tea um, all about it, okay? Yeah. God is all about pursuing his people. His people. And they're not just white American people. They're just not like that. It's everybody. God's heart is for the nations, and he proved that in this pledge. He showed his compassion and his kindness by Ruth displaying her loyalty to come and to, to cling to Naomi. Oh, if some of you just need a hug right now, you just you feel the spirit of the living God just giving you a squeeze because he just loves you. If you've got that in your head... Literally, it would change your life. It would change your life. Exams wouldn't matter. Cute boys wouldn't matter. Parents' approval of you wouldn't matter. Still struggling, by the way, with that. Lots of therapy. God with me. Yes. God's love transforms those cells in your brain to make you think differently. It is real. It is scriptural. Come find me after, and I'll show you exactly what he's meaning. In closing, can you believe it? We have arrived. Naomi and Ruth are going back to, Mo to Bethlehem from Moab. Now, this isn't an easy journey. It, it took about seven to ten days. And remember, Ruth is also a widow. She's a lot older than Naomi, but she's still also a widow. And Naomi has nothing to bring back, okay, to her town in Bethlehem. And honestly, Ruth literally pledged herself to Naomi, and Naomi was like, I have nothing to give you. And for some reason, only knowing that God was with Ruth was enough, which really challenged me. 
totally challenged me. Because sometimes I'm like, Jesus plus my comfortable home, some ice cream in my belly, plus a smile from my husband, plus some enough money in my account, equals satisfaction, delight, pleasure, happiness. But for Ruth, the Spirit really used this to challenge my heart because she didn't have any of that. She didn't have the comfortable living. She didn't have the ice cream. She didn't have the delight over a doting husband. She just had Jesus. She just had God, Yahweh, Israel's God, and the faith of Naomi to take with her. So they travel back, and I want you to notice something. Take your eyes on Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Just skim it real fast where you are right now. Just skim. Skimmy eyes. And then go to 22 and skim for me. Okay? Tell me the two end points, the two setting end points of this chapter. Geographical, something's happening, weather, time. What's happening? You guys are smart. I know this. Bethlehem. But what, what's happening? Uh, okay. What, what's happening? The f- Ah, harvest. Okay. What's happening in verse 1? There we go. Now, what is, now you teach me, actually, because I'm a little parched. What did Naomi say? Why did she change her name to be, because she's bitter? Why does, why does she change her name? Tell me, Anna. She said the Lord has dealt with her bitterness. She went away full and came back what? Okay, is anyone else scratching their head? She left during a what? And came back when? Anyone still scratching their head? When in your life do you go about your day and feel like you have Nothing left to give. Some of you are like, it's the second week of school. Nothing bad has happened to me yet. I'm like, well, you got 15 more weeks here, so just wait. (laughs) Right? (laughs) We go into our circumstances and we grade them. How full it is by how much good's happening and how empty I am because of all the bad that's happening. But in some spiritual way, it's reversed for God. Do you see that? Which actually, Bethlehem, does anyone know what Bethlehem means? This is, I had to study this, or I had to look this up. House of bread. House of bread. See, left in a famine, you think you're full in a famine? What? Like, when have I been in my famine times of life? Things aren't going my way. I'm in a lot of conflict. I'm struggling financially. I'm just not doing well. Okay? My grades aren't, (laughs) this will happen. Is anyone in Chem 110 right now? Is that class still? Oh, I pray for you, brother. (laughs) Seriously, I actually tried it three times. You'll do better than me, I promise. I tried it three times. You'll do better. Um, It... I graded my life, 
by how things were doing, how I was measuring up, all these things. And God was saying, you've been full because you have me. <laughs> you have a community of people. See, God didn't just bring me back to himself when I was a freshman. He brought me to crew. He put my little selfish, egotistical, self-absorbed, arrogant little tush in that corner seat, actually where you're sitting right now. That was my seat. And God saw me. Who Hannah Jean Palladini. You didn't even know my maiden name. Some of you do. He saw me. What? I have really nothing to give to the world. I'm not that impressive. And he saw me, and he loved me, and he sought after me. And not only did he give me himself, he gave me more. He gave me my best friends. And it's the best life. And it's not the easiest, and it's not the cushiest, and it doesn't come with its pain and its suffering. But, oh, man, do you wake up knowing the fullness of God because he's in you, and he's in you. I'm going to end with a fun illustration. I know it's on the fly, but come up. So Drew's a great, a fun, great friend. We've been doing this, by the way, with some other guys. Yeah, to be honest, I know I forget what this means every time, but I'm just, I, know, I don't know, what, what's a Wolverine, though? It's from Red Dawn. Red Dawn, see, got to add it to my movie list, or book list, no movie, movie, movie got it. Um, Drew learned something really incredible this summer, and how I know that is because the person who taught it to him told me that it really blew his mind that he learned it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so it's this idea that if you are here tonight and you're an image bearer, can you raise your hand? Okay, so an image bearer is actually every human being in the whole entire world. So if you're an image bearer, raise your hand. Fantastic. Okay, you actually reflect something really incredible, and it's God's image, because God created you, he breathed life into you, and he stamped his image onto you. The talk you have just listened to is a presentation of Penn State Crew. Crew is a community where the gospel captures hearts, transforms lives, and launches men and women into a lifelong adventure with Jesus Christ. To find out more about Penn State Crew or to find more talks, music, and videos, check out PennStateCrew.org. That's PennStateCRU.org. This talk is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States license. You are free to copy and distribute this talk to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.